temple had been torn down. We find that as they come back, that and as they uh, under the leader of Ezra, leadership of Ezra and Zerubbabel, that the prophets came with them and they were giving them the word of God. Now we're going to read some of those words right now that they were prophesying to the children of Israel who had come back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and rebuild the city. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. What are you, O mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. Then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of God bless it, God bless it. Then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace, God. God, for your spirit in this place, your presence in this place, God. Father, today, God, as you have visited with us already, already, God, you've done things as we met this morning, Lord God, with the leaders. Father, you, you filled people with your Holy Spirit. You, you renewed minds, Lord God. You set people free this morning already. And we are just knowing, God, that you're going to continue to do something powerful in our midst. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Again, if you go into the historical context of this prophetic message, you have to go into two historical books. One of them is Ezra. The other is in Nehemiah. Ezra records these captives coming back to the land of Jerusalem under the leadership of Zerubbabel and a few others. And with them, the prophets. And they come, and and you you find this in Ezra chapter 4. But uh, if you go in Ezra chapter 4, you find that Ezra, and I'm just going to summarize this for the sake of time. But you go back into Ezra 4, and you find that they come back. They had been given letters by the king to go back and rebuild the temple. Now, the temple represented the place where the people came to worship, much like our church here. And they came and they offered up sacrifice unto God. So it was the center of worship unto God. So it was very important that the first thing they did when they got back is to reestablish that place of worship. And so while they were doing this, while they laid the foundation of this temple, what happened is people that were around came and and they didn't want want anything good to happen to the children of Israel. How many of you know that sometimes when God tells you to do something, there's some people that might not believe you? You know, when you try to serve God. Maybe some of you have just gotten saved in the last couple of months. And how many have found out you go back and sometimes the people that you think you're friends, they're saying, oh, man, you know, you're going to be back with us in just a couple of months. Come on. Huh? Does that happen to anyone here? You know, maybe some family members. Oh, you're just getting a little religious. We know how you really are. You know, you'll be right back with us hanging out on the corner, sipping on those big 40s, you know, whatever, you know. But they were trying to rebuild the temple of God. And what they found is there was opposition. And the opposition came so much so that the building of the temple stopped. It came to a halt. And so when the building came to a halt, and we find this at the end of uh, Ezra. Now I'm still trying, to, still trying to get used to this thing. Ezra 4.24 says that the work of God came to a halt because of the opposition. And so the next thing we pick up is in Ezra 5, verse 1, when we see 
Let me find this. Ezra 5. Look at that. Praise God. <laughs> it says, verse 1, <laughs> it says, Now Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the prophet, a descendant of Ido, prophesied to the Jews in Judah and in Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, son of Jezatak, set to work to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them, helping them. So what was those words that they said to them? The word we just read in Zechariah, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit. Now, how many of you think, how many of you people are familiar with construction? How many people out there doing construction work? And you go to do construction work, you know, you get a blueprints, you know, you file your permits, you do all those kinds. Of, we're we're, we're uh, re- renovating a church in New Orleans that we purchased about 20 months ago that was damaged by Katrina. And so we're going through the gutting process and, you know, come back with the sheetrock and, you know, we have to lift up the floor on a 90-year-old church and, you know, we pour four, you know, four inches of 4,000 PSI concrete throughout that building. And so there's all this construction going on. And you, you, you build pr- blueprints and all, th- and it's just hard work and sweat. But how many of you think sometimes, you know, how many of you thinking, well, that's going on? Well, really, this is not just an act of man, but this is an act of God. See, we can just be there working and doing things and pouring the concrete, sweating all day long. But God was saying in the midst of that, let me tell you something. The opposition you're coming up against may be physical, but the answer to it is not in the physical. It's in the spiritual. And see, building the church, we've been building this church down there in New Orleans. And let me tell you something, it hasn't gone anything like we planned it because we're a church plant. But we know that God told us to do it, just like God told them to rebuild the temple. And we have found that through the course of it, as we have stepped out and obeyed God, that God sent us 1,400 volunteers to come and help us over the last uh, 20 months. And we found out that when we started this building project, that they gave us an estimate of $1.7 million to rebuild, not to build it, but to renovate this church. And today, I'll tell you, we only have $80,000 left to finish that thing. Can somebody say amen? Because I'm shouting just talking about it right now. In the back building that we're in, we only need $12,000 more to finish that thing. That is an act of God. And I want to tell you how it got done. It didn't get done because we were good planners. It It didn't get done because we were good at construction. It got done because we got on our knees and we found that the word of God is true, that it's not by might nor by power, but it's by the spirit of almighty God. Zechariah was prophesying to these people, and he's saying, man, you guys are building the temple. This opposition came and put you to a halt. But let me tell you, the answer is not in the physical. The answer is in the spiritual. It is the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, I bring this up to you this morning because what God wants to do, he wants to deliver you from trying to do things in your own strength. How many of you found out that you can't serve God in the flesh? You can't serve God in your own strength. You can come to church every time the doors are open, but still be saddled with and struggling with the same things when you leave. Because God has to enact His power in your life. That is Christianity. 
Christianity is not joining a church. Christianity is not just coming to a church. Christianity is a divine encounter with the Almighty. God comes into us. We become the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. We become the dwelling place for God's presence. And He changes our life. And we find the things that have bound us, the things that we struggle with, that God delivers us. In fact, Jesus talked about the fact that when, he, when he was, the pastor was saying it this morning, when he said it was finished, it was done, that means that everything that needed to be done happened so that you and I could live for him in freedom. And that's why he sent his Holy Spirit. What this establishes is that God's work is never man-centered nor man-empowered. It is always divine in its commission and divine in its establishment. In the New Testament, Jesus commissions his church to reach the world with the message of the good news of Jesus. But he does not tell us to accomplish this through human ability or human ingenuity. It must be accomplished by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Acts 1.8, Jesus said, when you go into the world, you know, before you go into the world, you know, I'm going to tell you to stay in Jerusalem and don't leave it until you be endued with power from on high. And he said, you'll receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You're going to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And we see that happening in Acts chapter 2. As that early church, they come together and they waited upon God. And God poured out His Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And when God poured out His Spirit, these same men who had ran away from Jesus when the soldiers came to take Him away, these same men that He had been with them for three years, but when things got really bad, they had run. They, had, they, fl- they fled. But these same men now on that day stood up with boldness and courage. And they began to share the message of Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ could do for people. Is it still for us today? Well, Acts 2.38, when Peter stands up and they say, what must we do? He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And he said, and you will receive the Holy Spirit, for this promise is unto you, to your children, to all that are far off, even as many as call upon the name of the Lord. People are still calling upon the name of the Lord. So it's still for us today. God's power is manifested in the church today. It's not about religion. Religion can't keep you. And that's why so many times people float from one church to the next because they get tired of something religious. But if you find that relationship with God where God's divine power and divine person becomes instilled in you, that'll change your life. It'll change the lives of those around you because Christ in you is the hope of glory. As we understand how God's Spirit empowers believers to live a life of power in their witness. But let me tell you, it is more than that. God gives us His Spirit so that our Christians' lives would reflect a divine quality and not just a human one. Over and over we read through the Scriptures and we see how God changed the lives of these people and how they went out through the world. And they begin, the Bible says that they turned the world upside down. 
Let me tell you, people that are making changes in the world are radical people. Now, they may be radical for the wrong reason. They may be doing the wrong thing. You know, there's some radicals in the world that are destroying things, but they're influencing the world. But God wants us to make us radical for him. And that takes something more than ourselves, right? That takes something more than just what we, what we get on a day-to-day basis. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit of God. God gives us His Spirit so that we might be renewed, that we might be renovated in our heart, so that our mind might think the thoughts of Jesus, so that our hearts might experience the presence of Almighty God, that we go out, that we'll share the testimony of Jesus Christ with joy, in freedom, living a life that God's called us to live. We see that in the book of Acts. In the Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, they go to the temple to pray, and it's not like before. It's not like before. They're going to pray to the temple, and here's this man, and he's crippled. He's been lame for birth, and he's sitting at the gate called Beautiful. And as they come up, and he's saying, do you have a few shekels to throw my way? And he, they, they say to him, silver and gold, we don't have. But what we have, we're going to give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise and walk. Rise and walk. That's the power of the Holy Spirit of God that God has made available, that God has ordained for his church. For you and I. Now, I grew up in a home. Uh, I, I never met my real father. I, I, I grew up, in, uh, I was born in Stockton, California. You know, and I, I grew up in the ghettos. You know, my mom got pregnant with me when she was 16 years old. Um, and, and, and then uh, I didn't even know till I was 28 that the man whose name I took uh, when I was born was not my real father. I grew up in a jacked up background, a jacked up home and my mom was jacked up and she tried to get out of an alcoholic home you know and and a home that was you know just just this terrible home of violence and of drugs and alcohol and her brother dealing cocaine out of her house and she didn't even know it one day um, a man who was my uncle and this gets real crazy i know people got some junk you know People got junk, and I'll I'll just put my junk out here. You know, I got an uncle that's my stepfather right now. I mean, he was first my uncle, but then he was my stepfather. I remember going to visit him when he was my uncle, but then he became my stepfather, and I took his name, Freeman. I don't look German. That's Freeman, right? But that's my adopted name. You know, I'm Spanish, although I don't speak Spanish because I grew up in South Louisiana and had to learn French until sixth grade. So, you know, don't knock me, okay? (laughs) You know? I grew up like a Cajun. But my parents, my parents and my, my mom and her stepfather, who was my uncle at the time, took me and my brother on a train three days down to South Louisiana. And from the time I was four years old, I grew up, and I knew Galen Freeman as my dad. And they were running away. They were running away from all kind of garbage. They were running away. From the drugs, the violence, the bad marriages. My mom had been married and divorced by the time she was 19. My dad came back. He went to Vietnam. My stepfather went to Vietnam because he had to. It was Vietnam a prison. You know, he went to Vietnam. He came back, married my mom's sister, divorced her, ran away with my mom, made the whole family. We didn't see my family until I was in. I didn't see my family back in California until I was in my 30s. Jacked up. You say, ran away from it all the way down to South Louisiana. What happened? Well, 
we just brought up the we brought the jack up from California to Louisiana because you can't run from it. And then it was one night when I was about five years old, my mom, tired of it all, tried to take her life. You know, and there's my dad. She went into a coma. She took a whole bottle of pills. You know, just just a few of them would have killed anyone. She took a whole bottle. She was tired of living. Alcoholism had crept back in the home. Everything that they had run away from crept back in the home. And my dad wake up one night as a five-year-old child, look at my stepfather trying to revive my mother and the ambulance coming. She went into a coma for three days. And the doctors, the doctors out there, not even Christians, said, Lady, I don't know why you're alive, but you better find out. Well, she did. One morning she put us in the car and we drove to New Iberia, Louisiana, where they make Tabasco sauce. You guys know where that's at. And she slipped into church. We grew up Catholic. And she slipped into church. She walked in, you know, did the little genuflect, you know, you know, boom, you know. It wasn't that kind of church, but she did it. Boom, did the cross, sat down, you know. We were as out of place. You know, I was the only Hispanic. I mean, I grew up in desegregation. And I was the only brother with a little color that wasn't black. You know, and I grew up, you know, when, man, when I was in high school, man, they were showing that movie Roots. If you were white, you know, it wasn't tight because you were getting, you know, racked on the head, man. People were mad, you know, showing the Roots movie. Got any brothers in here? You know, I'm talking about people were mad about Roots, man. And they were taking it out on everybody white. And I was glad I had a little color. But I, I grew up in a place where, you know, I was the only Hispanic the entire time. I didn't know until we planted the school in California. What it was, really. I mean, my mother spoke Spanish, but only when she was mad at us. You know, and that's all I knew, you know. Cayete, not just everything else, man. It just came out, you know. Nino, you know, and at the end. You know, I'm not making a joke, but I mean, I'm just saying. It was bad in our house. And what happened was she went into that church, and God rescued her. God delivered her. That morning, my dad was working offshore, my stepfather working offshore on an oil rig as a roughneck. And he'd come in every time drunk. But she went, she took us, she got saved. And that night, they laid hands on her to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And the power of God came upon her and she spoke in a language she had never learned. And right then, God showed her a light from heaven and she knew that she had found what she had been looking for all her life. See, why do you share that? I want to share that because I want to, you know, sometimes you hear preachers come and you think that, man, we don't know nothing like we've been, you know, in some kind of monastery stuck, you know, sitting on a pole somewhere, hadn't experienced life. But I'm telling you, I know right where people are at. I grew up in that house. And I remember it was like night and day when Jesus Christ came into that house. It was like someone came into a dark room and turned the lights on. But see, it was more than just joining a church. It was experiencing the power of God. Because we hooked up with some people that spoke in tongues. And my mom, who had grew, grew up in the ghetto... 
And, you know, she was in South Louisiana, but she was still doing the ghetto thing. I mean, she still had that attitude, you know, and all that. I didn't understand my mom still. I started working in her city ministry. You know, and she, she still had that attitude. But you know what? She didn't go to Bible college. She didn't, you know, uh, she hadn't gone to seminary, but she had found Jesus. And she had been empowered by the Holy Spirit. And what happened is one day this lady named Dolores Bourgeois brought in her daughter whose legs were bowed like this. And she's telling her, Dolores, Jesus saved me. And, you know, set me free. And he's so powerful. He'll heal your daughter. And they put little Noel Bourgeois up on that table and took the braces off that leg. And, and she laid hands on that child's legs. And God straightened those legs out right there. That mother screamed. But I want to tell you what happened to Laura. She got saved that day. And she's still serving God to this day. I'm talking about the power of the Holy Spirit of God, folks. That's the power that God has made available for you and I. And it doesn't, it's not just for preachers. It's for every saint of God. And God wants, God wants it in your life because your life needs to be dynamic. How many people living in the world seeking some kind of thrill, jumping out of planes, jump cliff, you know, cliff diving or, you know, whatever they call that, you know, people jumping off buildings, trying to find some kind of rush, some kind of appeasement to something in their life that's missing. But I want to tell you, Jesus has it all for you. The power of the Holy Spirit will come into your life and you will experience a dynamism that will flow through your life. The power of the Holy Spirit of God. John 7.37, Jesus was talking about it. He stands up on the day of the feast and he says, If anyone is thirsty, if anyone is thirsty, I didn't finish the story. About a week later, my dad came home, and he was drunk, as he always came home drunk. He came home drunk, and he came through the door. But he, my mom didn't know, but he had grown up in, in an Assembly of God, Pentecostal church where they experienced. And he knew when she came to the door and was beaming like the sun, he knew what had happened to her. And we went to Sunday. My dad drank all that day until the next day because he didn't want to feel like going to church sober. He went to church drunk, but he came to, he went to church drunk, but he gave his life to Christ and God sobered him up. He left, filled him with the Holy Spirit and he left a new man. And that's how I grew up. Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come after me. And as the scripture says, out of his innermost being would flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Holy Spirit, which had not yet been given, for he had not been raised. But let me tell you, he has been raised. And the Holy Spirit has been poured out on the church. And it's for you. It's for your children. It's for all that are far off, even as many as shall call upon the name of the Lord. Jesus is talking about this. Acts 3.19, Peter says in, to the crowd that shows up after this man gets healed in Acts chapter 3. And he says, you know, what are we going to do, they say. And he says, you need to repent. You need to get right with God so that times of refreshing would come upon you. It's not just a one-time experience, saints of God. It's every day with Jesus. It's better than the day before. Every day with Jesus. I want more and more. Hallelujah. And you can have more with Jesus. 
because it's times of refreshing. It's not one time. It's a time of renewing. Jesus said it was a river. You ever saw a river that wasn't flowing? It's a flow. It's a river of God. It's life. It's life-giving. It's life-producing. It's life-empowering. It's what we need. It's what the world needs. Romans 8.26, the Word of God says that the Spirit even helps us in our weakness. We don't know how to pray as we ought to, but the Spirit helps us to pray because He knows the mind of God and He makes intercession for us in accordance with, with the will of God. Hallelujah. How many of you know that the Bible says that if we ask anything according to His will, 1 John 4, He says we have, if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if He hears us, we have what we ask. For. How many of you want to pray the prayers that are in line with the will of God for your life? Well, the Bible says that when you pray in the Spirit, when you allow the Holy Spirit inside of you to pray through you, you begin speaking in an unknown language. But guess what? The Holy Spirit knows exactly what to pray. And you'll find that your mind is being renewed. You'll find that your spirit is being restored. Paul said, when I pray in the Spirit, I speak in tongues more than all of you. You know, he says, whoever speaks in an unknown tongue, 1 Corinthians 14, builds himself up. Jude 20 says, beloved, build up your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit of God. It's the anointing of God. John, in his epistle, says, you have an unction from above, and he's going to teach you some things. It's the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And it, what it, it, it's what it means to be a spirit-filled, spirit-led Christian Galatians 5 says you walk in the Spirit, you're not going to fulfill the lust of the flesh. How many of you have been going along in your Christian life, but you're still struggling with the same old, same old? And I tell you what's the answer for it. It's not more counseling. It's not more of trying to do this or that. It's not trying to fast more. It's more of God's Holy Spirit of God being released in your life. And you will find a power that is divine in its origin. Hallelujah. That's good stuff. Hallelujah. Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. And that's a comparative passage. If we look at that exegetically, what Paul is saying, hey, you want to exchange this which leads to death for this which leads to life. In other words, you've been getting drunk here because you want some little escape. You want some good feeling. Yeah, it feels good for a little while, but then you're going to be, you know, standing and leaning over the porcelain God with your, you know, head hanging down. And you'll be bowing before that thing saying, oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. Come on. And we think that's good. We think that's living. Praying to God. That's when people pray to God. You know, oh, God. You know, over that. Come on. You guys know what I'm talking about. You know? But instead, you can be renewed in the Holy. You can get drunk on the Holy Spirit of God. And you don't have to bend over any toilet bowl or be in a dark place or being in an embarrassing position or, you know, having your clothes stained and walking out in a place and not knowing where your head is, not knowing where you are, not knowing, as the Bible says, who hit you or who didn't hit you. Seeing strange things. But feeling the power of Almighty God and allowing that power to come into your life. That's walking like Jesus has called us to walk. 
John 14, Jesus said this. He says, because I go to the Father, the works that I do and greater works than these shall you do also because I go to the Father. John 14 through 17 is Jesus' passage talking about the Comforter, the Paracletos, the one called alongside to help, the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the children, Trinity. Jesus told his disciples, I'm going to go away. But if I go away, I'm going to send the Comforter to you. One of the translations of the word Comforter is Helper. He's going to be your Helper. He's going to be your Advocate. He's going to be one called alongside to help you. Hallelujah. How many need a little help walking this Christian walk? How many of you know that Jesus himself comes into us through the Holy Spirit of God and it is he who reveals who Jesus is in our life. It is he who uh, inspired the word of God who will help us to understand it. <clears throat> I started this off talking about a kite. <clears throat> As we bring this to a close, when I, we pastored our first church in North Louisiana, I have four sons. At that time, we had just the two, right? Justice and, and uh, Jordan. As we were pastoring, we lived on about 50 acres of land, and we had, we had this trailer and um, that we had, and um, about a 70-foot trailer. And, you know, you guys in the north don't know about trailers, you know. You got a trailer trash or whatever, you know, down south, you know, whatever. But, I mean, they set these trailers out in the middle of a big old parcel of land, you know. And it wasn't ours. It was one of the one of the people in the churches. They let us live there while we pastored that church. March came around. What do you do in March? You fly kites, right? Now, it's windy here all the time. Maybe you guys fly kites year-round here. That's called the Windy City. I don't know really what, what that's all about. But, I mean, maybe you're flying kites now, you know. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> But in March, you know, down south, I mean, they don't put the kites out until March. Because that's when the winds come. March winds. April shower, March winds. So I go and I get one of those kites that looks like a bat, you know, with the big nose thing, you know. How many knows what I'm talking about? You know, that's how we speak down south. How many knows, you know, with the big nose? Anyway, so the day I get the kite, I can bring my two boys out. This is going to be a father and son type thing. And. I'm going to show them how to fly a kite. And so I get out, and we have in front of us about two acres of land that are in front of the trailer. So I get out, and the thing was, was there was no wind on that day. It was March, but it wasn't windy yet. And so I take that kite, and, you know, and if there's no wind, what do you got to do with that kite? You got to run with it. Have you ever done, you know what I'm talking about, right? You get out there and you run, you know, pop it up a little bit and start running with the kite. Well, the kite will get up in the air. As you're running, right? Right, it'll get up in the air, you know, and you can release it a little bit. But guess what? When you stop running, down comes the kite. And so all that day, I'm running around that front yard, and, you know, I'm running, you know, running with that kite, getting it up, and the boys, you know, they're just looking at me, totally uninterested, you know. And then I say, I think, man, I really need to get some, you know, distance here. So I get out on the road in front, and I'm running down that road with the kite, you know. And I'm just like huffing and puffing. I'm all out of shape. You know, and I'm huffing and puffing. And I look back, and my sons had been, I put them on the porch. But I look back, and they went inside the house, and I was out there running with this kite. 
and they had gone inside the house, and it was too warm for them. They went back into the A.C., and they were looking through the window at this fool, you know, running with the kite. So I brought the kite back in, you know, and I'm just like, okay, that, you know, we didn't teach him anything today but how to look like a fool. The next day we go out there and the winds are blowing. And so I bring the boys out. And, you know, it took very little effort. Put that kite up and we didn't have to run because the wind took it. And as long as I had line, I let that kite go out to just a little speck. And you know what? The boys were excited because they had never seen nothing like that. They walked out. They were looking up. Man, that kite was so far. Right about then, the Holy Spirit speaks to me and he says, See, this is what it's like when you try to do something and what it's like when I do it. And that's why God gives us his Holy Spirit. Because you and I cannot do this. We can't. I've been serving God going on 30 years. I've been in the ministry 27 years years preaching the gospel. And I haven't figured out how to do it in my flesh. I have a master's degree. Two concentrations. One in biblical studies and one in theology or missiology. But I still haven't figured it out how to do it. Because you can't. It's not by might nor by power but by my spirit. It has not changed. It was the same in the Old Testament. It's the same in the New Testament. And it's the same today. You cannot live this life like God wants it without the power of God's Holy Spirit. Would you stand with me?